All right, guys, hey, we're so thankful you're joining us online, those on the app, on Facebook, and hey, those over at the Jail Campus, you guys, men and women, part of our church family, we're so glad you're part of us. Come on, church. Welcome them in. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So, uh, <laughs> all right, so like I said, this is, this is going to be fun. Uh, I have... Um, Okay, so here's what we're doing. We're in a series called DNA, uh, the, uh, the, lo- the DNA of the local church. So who we are, the core of the local church. So this is why we're doing this. And, and what we're doing is a lot of times we as, as a church, as, as people who are part of the body of Christ, which we call the church, uh, come together and it's easy to forget why. It's easy to forget. Why, what are we doing this? Why do, why do we need to be part of a church? And what is this? So we talked about last week, we began this series. So if you want to get on the app, you can look at last week's message where I talked about that the resurrection of Jesus Christ demands a reaction. It demands a response. So somehow, some way, we have to respond to, to what Jesus did on the cross. And part of that is that we are his ambassadors. So this week, I'm going to kind of step back. We're going to take a big, big picture view of where this is, where the church is in the Bible. Literally. We're going to start over here. We're going to have a timeline across here. We're going to start in Genesis. Genesis, we're going to talk about where, where it all began, and we're going to go all the way through the entire Bible, and in less than 34 minutes, we're going to end up at Revelation 22. Don't get nervous. I'm going to do this, okay? I already did a 9 o'clock service. I went about three minutes over. I trimmed some stuff. Um, we'll see, okay? Okay. Here we go. All right, so, so here, here it is. So in Romans, Romans chapter 8, again, this is, this is kind of where we're starting, is that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give, uh, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's available to you. So he continues on in verse 16. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with your, our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I am a, am a son. That might be hard for some of you to believe. It's the only thing you can be if you're a son, a man. You have to be a son of somebody. I am a son. Uh, for some of you that was like, oh, is he? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> I am a son. Uh, some of you know my father. He's one of our overseers. He, uh, he's typically in, uh, in the, nine eight, uh, the 9 o'clock service. I don't see him right now, but he's, he's usually here. And uh, he is, he's, he's, the reason I am who I am is because of who he is. I share his DNA. Now, I have children, and they share my DNA. Now, sometimes their behavior, I reject that fact. They're adopted. No. But they share my DNA. Now, you don't have to know me real well, or my son real well, or my father real well, to go, <laughs> they're connected, because we share DNA. And that, that's, when we understand this, what the, uh, the writer in Romans, Paul, was trying to tell us, is, hey, you share the DNA with Jesus Christ. And if that DNA is in you, you share the DNA with your father, God. 
Okay, so we have to understand this. Now, where does this all begin? We talked about last week the, the cause and effect and where we are. And, and remember the, the I, actually, the, yeah, the, the, the fishbone diagram? And so if you want to get to here, you have to, your actions here have to m- match that. So, so if you want to be successful in your walk with God, your actions have to match that. If you want to have, uh, we talked about that last week, if you want to have a hot date, your actions have to lead up to that point, okay? You can't have a hot date and not take a shower. Can I get a, amen, okay? <laughs> it just, it doesn't work that way. So your actions have to, to match up. So your actions will match up. Now, Jesus' actions matched up with what his goal was. He, his goal was to die on the cross, be resurrected for our sins, and then be resurrected so that his spirit could dwell in us. All of his actions matched his goal. Our actions had to match that goal. Now, backing up, let's begin in, in Genesis, where we have to look at the beginning of where this all began. So in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 1, we see also that we are created as image bearers of God. He says, let us make man in our image. Genesis chapter 2, verse 26 says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. And to be like us, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, and all the animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings on his, in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So he begins by creating us, man, in his image. If we are in his image, we share his DNA. From the very beginning, we were meant to have God's DNA in us. And, and so in your notes there, I've got this, the whole timeline that we're going to go here through here. So today, you don't have to take any notes. I usually don't say that. I usually like take notes. I want you to just pay attention. And then you can go back over these notes and look over them. I've got all the information there. I'm going to give you lots of scripture. I'm going to refer to lots of scripture. So just stay with me. So in the beginning, God created us in his image as his image bearers. Now, why would he create man to be his image? So that the world could see who he is. From the very beginning, that was our intention. So that everyone who looked at Adam would say, there he is, I see what God looks like. So we were created as image bearers. Now, as image bearers, we're also created with the same relational aspects that he desired as well. So God was a relational God. He created us relationships. In uh, Genesis chapter 2... He kind of narrows down and gets more detailed about creation. He says this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. He says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. So we begin by understanding at the very beginning, we were created for relationships. In those relationships, the first relationship we have is unique because God breathed his breath into us. So we begin with the relationship with God. So that is where we begin. We have a relationship with God. The second relationship is in that same verse, and it says, and man became a living person. Now you have a relationship with yourself. The third relationship that he, ha- that he goes to is in uh, verse, 20, verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. And he created woman. Creation uh, so we have relationship with others. 
And the fourth type of relationship that we are created to have in, in the beginning was that with creation. In verse 15, he says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. So we, we have four types of relationships that he intended for us to have. A relationship with God, a relationship with self, a relationship with others, a relationship with creation. And in the beginning, it was built and created by God in his exact image, exactly how he wanted it. We, we, know, we use the word shalom. The word shalom we, what, do, what do we translate that as? Peace. Now, the problem is we have an idea of what peace is. Like, selfie time. Um, we, we, we think of peace. We think of you know, the, the peace sign. We think of no war. We think of Christmas. That's what we think of when we hear the word peace. But peace is much more, shalom is much more, it's much a broader statement. It means that it is whole. It's in its fullness. It is as God created it to be. So in the beginning, our relationship with God was created as it was intended to be. It was created as just as a vessel would be created. He created it just specifically just as the maker of this vase created it just as he intended it to make it, and he made it intentional, and that the relationship with, with God would be the way he went. And so that's why he walked in the garden with man. He had that relationship with them. It was just as he intended it to be. He had the relationship with, with others the way that it was supposed to be. Adam and Eve were in the proper relationship with each other. The creation with, uh, with, uh, your set with himself, Adam understood who he was. And then the creation with the, with the garden, he tended it, but it produced for him. But God said in Genesis 3, he says, if you eat from the tree, puts a tree in the middle of the garden, he says, I need this tree to be here so that you have a choice, a choice to follow me, a choice to love me. And you have a choice, Adam, Eve, you have a choice to follow after me. And if you choose to follow me, then everything will continue to go as I created it to be. As long as you follow God, it is as God intended it to be. But if you choose not to follow God, if you decide to take it into your own hands and eat of the fruit, then everything will be broken. Now, he says in Genesis chapter 3, we see this happen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says that, uh, um, that when the cool of the evening... So we know the story, right? Eve is deceived by the serpent. The serpent begins to tell her, oh, don't worry about it. She follows. She gives the fruit to Adam. What do they do? They go and put on... Uh, garments. They try to hide themselves. And it says in uh, verse 8, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? See, God didn't separate from man. Man separated himself from God. God was still searching him out. So the, the relationship with God Secondly, in verse uh, 10 of chapter 3, it says that Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and I, so I hid, and I was afraid because I was naked. Up to this point, they have not used the word I in reference to themselves. It was always them, their, we. At this point, it changes to himself because sin is selfishness. Sin points to you and says, I want it my way. And then, so the, 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 the self, and then others, in verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. The first blame game. Relationship with others. 
And then God said, because of what you've done, the ground will be cursed, and you will have to work to make it produce. See, in the beginning, it was created as God had intended it to be. But man made a choice. And in that choice, he chose for it to be shattered. What God intended to be right and to be pure was now broken and shattered. In a moment, because man made a choice, he decided to separate them, man separated himself, and all the relationships, the shalom that God had created is now shattered. And every relationship that he wanted to be pure and holy and full and full of what he created to be is now broken. It is broken. This relationship with God is broken. The relationship with yourself is broken. Your relationship with others is broken and shattered. And the relationship with creation is broken. That's why Romans, Romans 8, Paul says, even creation cries out to be restored to shalom. See, our, our relationships are shattered. But even in the moment that our relationships were shattered, in that same verse, God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the man's heel would come and the snake would bite the heel, but the heel would crush the serpent's head. And in that moment, he promised that one day shalom would be restored. One day. One day, all that God had created to be would be restored. But we've got a long way to go, don't we? So the, the story goes, and it continues to get worse. And from Genesis, Genesis 3 to 11, it gets really bad. But in Genesis chapter 12, we are introduced to a man named Abraham. Abram. In verse 15, I'm sorry, in verse 12, it says, in verse 12, chapter 12, it says that God was going to bless Abram. And because of, he was going to bless him so that he could be a blessing to others. In this, we understand right away that God is beginning a partnership with man. In fact, it's the same partnership he wanted in the beginning. But now he's renewing it and he's saying, I want a partnership with man. And so I'm choosing you, Abram, and your family to create that back, to get back to the place of working together with man to show the world who I am. And because I'm going to bless you, you're going to bless the nations. And we understand that when you're blessed, it's blessed for others. You need to to understand that. Your your blessings that you receive are not meant for you to hold on to and to consume. It's meant for you to pass on and give it to others so that others will see the glory of God in you. So in Genesis chapter 15, we see that uh, Abram is going to be promised a promised land. He He says, I'm going to give you a family that's going to be as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give you a land. And in that land, it is going to be your land. And from that land, you are going to produce and give God glory. And Genesis chapter 18, we're told that the reason why he's given this land, in Genesis 18, verse 18, it says, For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I had promised. Now, here's the key. This, this word that he describes the reason why he's going to give Abraham the land and the family. For two reasons. To show God's justice and righteousness. Justice 
and righteousness. Now, the two words that we see here in the Hebrew are, are, are two different words that really can be translated both justice. The first one is justice, and in, in uh, it's mis, mis, misfat, misfat is, the, is the Hebrew word, and it literally means a legal justice. So if someone were to harm you and, a, and you know, they do wrong to you, the government steps in and legally makes them have justice. So that's why we have uh, the justice system. So somebody harms somebody else, they go to jail and pay the penalty for that, right? That's the justice system. That's, a, that's what the first one is. The second word is in righteousness is the word, it's T-Z-E-D-E-K-A-H. It's the Hebrew word. And it would, better translated, would be social justice. Social justice. Now, not, not socialism. Social justice. And God commands them that when you see someone who is hurting, when you see the orphan, we see the widow, we see the homeless, when the foreigner comes into your land, when all those things take place, it is your responsibility to give them what they need. That's who you are as identifying as the one who shows God's glory. So he sets up a government in that system, and, uh, and they were living in the land of... of so so let, me, let me fast forward. Okay, you ready? We're going to go on high speed. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has, has a twin brother named Esau, but Jacob is the lineage that we follow. Jacob has a, 12 sons and one daughter. His young, uh, uh, second youngest son is named Joseph. How many have heard of Joseph? The multicolored jacket, you know, technicolor jacket. You've heard of him? Okay, real quick synopsis of what he did. Joseph was not liked by his brothers. His brothers sold him into slavery. He gets to Egypt as a slave. As a slave, he rises up through some circumstances that only God could put, put together. He ends up being second in command of all of Egypt. At the same time, there's a famine in the Middle East where his family is from. They have to come to Egypt to get food. Joseph recognizes him, sees who he is, reveals himself to them, says, hey, you guys are not going to be able to live. The famine gets so bad that he moves the 70 family members from Canaan, the promised land, Israel, moves them down to Egypt so that they can live and survive. And in Egypt, they live for years, for generations. And eventually, the 70 people become a growing nation within a nation. And Pharaoh's not happy with this. He says, i got to keep control of this. So he enslaves them, puts them in slavery. Those that, those that are enslaved uh, are b- making the bricks that are the, what we see today in Egypt most likely were built by Hebrew slaves. He says, uh, the people begin to cry out. And God goes to a man named Moses and says, Moses, me and you, we're going to partner up. Once again, God trying to use man to partner to get back to justice. His people were not where they needed to be. They were not being treated justly, and so he was going to use a man to bring it back to justice. He sends Moses in, and he says, my people are in slavery. They can't be the ones who glorify me and show the world my glory if they're in slavery. Which, by the way, is why we have what we call the the, the F-bombs of authentic church, follow Jesus Christ, find freedom. Because you cannot glorify God to your fullest potential until you walk in freedom. That's why we want that for you. That's why we have that relationship. So back to the story. Moses, ten plagues, gets them out of Egypt. They go to the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are following. Moses puts the staff over. Red Sea parts. They walk across on the dry ground. They get to the other side and they say, God, we're going to praise you and glorify you as our Savior. He says, that's great, but here's what I want you to do. I need you to go to Mount Sinai. So 50 days, 
It's important. 50 days from the time they leave Egypt to the time they get to Mount Sinai. That's the time span. They get to Mount Sinai, and God says to them, here's what I need. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, he says, Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and I will be, and you will be, and you will be my kingdom of priests. My holy nation, this is the message you must give to the people. Now, I need, I need three volunteers. I'm not going to make you talk, and I'm not going to embarrass you. Just three, quickly. First three, jump, come on, come on. First three, they get up here. One, two, three. Okay. Come on. Come on, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah, here we go, here we go. All right. We got, this is, this is I know who these girls are, Okay. This is the, this, the, the fact that they're here. You guys, had, they had a sleepover last night, and they are here ready to, and they're learning. Look at this. Come on. What? Yeah. All right. All right. So remember, Israel, the Israelites just came out of Egypt where there was gods of galore. But to get to the gods, they couldn't just go to the gods and say, well, we're going to worship a god. They had to go to a temple. To go to worship their god, they had to go to, to the temple to meet a priest. Now, so what was your name again? Lydia. Lydia is going to be our God. Mm-hmm. You can tell all your friends that you, got, you were God, okay, for just a moment and only as an illustration, okay? This gives you no power or authority whatsoever, okay? <laughs> She's going to be our God for here. What's your name? Addie. Addie. Addie's going to be our worshiper. So she wants to get to her God and to worship her God, but she can't get there unless she goes through her priests. Now, they understood this as God was telling these commands. They saw this in Egypt. So they understood that to get to God, they had to go to the priest. And God says to them, I need you to be my priest. So for them to see me, so the world, for the world to see God, they had to look at Israel. My kingdom of priest. And he says, that's who I need you to be. Good job. Come on, right here. All right, you guys, you guys can be seated. Thank you. Give him a hand. Now here's... Here's what you got to understand. So they understood this, that to get to God, they had to go through the kingdom of priests. And they were representing. And it says, okay, you guys are representing me, so I want you to go to your promised land. Now here's what's important and really, really cool, and I hope you grab this. So where's the promised land? Let's look at the, where the promised land. Here is Israel. Every nation and every empire had to go through Israel to go to anywhere else. So as they went, so anybody in Egypt or the African, anywhere else, wanted to go up to the north, the trade route, the world trade route, the international trade route, went through Israel. And God says, I'm putting you there to demonstrate to the world who I am. I'm in partnership with you. It's pretty cool, huh? So, so they're in Egypt. He says they're a kingdom of priests. And then on, the, on Mount Sinai, he says, Here's how, so to be who I've called you to be, I'm going to give you something powerful. I'm going to give you a gift. It's called the law. That's what we call it. It's really the best way to say it. It's the word of God. Why does he give them the word of God? He gives them the word of God so that they can live their lives in such a way to demonstrate to the world who God is. If you live this way, you will be blessed. And if you follow my commandments, you will be blessed. And if you do, then you will glorify God. So there he, there he is. He gives them the word of God. Now, what happens? They spend some time. They get some things messed up in the wilderness. They spend 40 years in the wilderness. After spending 40 years in the wilderness, they end up going into, uh, into the promised land. Joshua takes them in the conquest 
of the promised land. Gets them moving in. They take, the, they take those places. Then come the judges. The judges do this job of saying, guys, we have the law. We know who we're supposed to be, but you're not living up to it. They would go, and in times when, when things were tough, not going the way they're supposed to be, the people would come and the, the judge would say, hey, this is the way the Lord's told you to live it. So that's where they're going. They're in this moment where they're living as they are, but then they say, hey, what, listen, uh, we, we like this setup. We know you're supposed to be our king, God, but we want to look like the other kingdoms around us. First mistake. God said, I don't want you to look like the kingdoms of the, around you. I want you to look like me. But they said, I want to look, we want to look like the world. So they, God says, okay, fine, you want a king? I'll give you a king. Then begins the monarchy. The first one they get is Saul. Saul was the first one that's introduced as the king of Israel. His name literally means asked for. God says, you asked for it, you get it. Saul's a terrible king. Does, I mean, he, everything about his king is just, it's not good. He ends up giving the kingdom to David. David is put in place. He's anointed. And the Bible says that he is God's, a man after God's own heart. God loves him. He has some ups and downs and has some failures. We don't have enough time to get into them, but he is David. And God says to him in 1 Samuel chapter 7, he says, I am going to make your kingdom a kingdom that will last forever. I'm going to make your kingdom the kingdom that will last forever. And what's he doing? He's preparing for somebody down later on the line. We'll get to him in just a minute. So he says, I'm going to make, you a, I'm going to make your kingdom. But then after David dies, his son comes into, into power. His name is Solomon. And at the beginning of his great, uh, reign as king, he is amazing. He does a great job. The first thing that happens, God says, hey, you want to be, you're going to be king. What do you need? And he says, I need wisdom. So he gives him wisdom. He says, here you go. Here's the wisdom that you need to be the king. And he does some great, great things. He's doing his kingdom's growing. Things are happening. It's peaceful. He's building the tabernacle. He's all of his uh, the temple and everything's going really, really good. In fact, it's so good that na- other nations are coming to see him. They want to see what is going on. How are you doing this and making it be so awesome? And in 1 Kings chapter 10, it says that, First uh, Kings chapter 10, it says, that queen, the queen of Sheba came. Now, we don't know where Sheba is. We just know that she's a king, and she came to visit, and representing the nations of the world. She comes, and she says, I want to see what's going on in your kingdom. And when she's done getting the tour, this is what she says to Solomon. Praise the Lord your God, who delights in you, and has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king so that you can rule with justice and righteousness. Where do we hear that before? See, he's doing such an awesome job. That as people come to see his kingdom, they're saying, wow, you look like God. That's amazing what you're doing. Your kingdom is flourishing. It's doing great things. It's blessed nation. But Solomon doesn't stay on that track. There's three things that God warns him not to do. He says, don't take horses from Egypt. Do not have many wives. And do not uh, use slavery. Solomon, the Bible tells us, gets horses from Egypt. He marries hundreds of wives. You'd have to be wise to remember all those names. Then third, he, gets, uh, he begins to uh, use slavery to build the tabernacle of God and his home. And many would argue that he was one of the worst kings by the end of his kingdom ever because, as a result, the kingdom divides. And after Solomon's reign, he be, the, we have the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And they have the, the ongoing kings and all those. Are, and, uh, and the northern kingdom, there's 19 rulers. In the northern, uh, southern kingdom, there's 20 rulers. 
and everything is chaotic. There's nothing going well. They have prophets that come to them and say, guys, listen, you guys are so far off. And what a prophet is, it says you, he's a gap identifier. He says, here's where God's told us to be. Here's where you're at. Let's move closer. And so, Isaiah is one of them. In Isaiah chapter 1, he, he says to the, the Israelites, or he's speaking to the southern kingdom here, but it, it's one that's said to both of them. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. The children of Israel I raised cared for the, have, uh, and cared for have rebelled against me. This is God speaking. He said, Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. He gets, he's pretty upset. In verse 14, he says, I hate your celebrations. I hate the way you worship me. I, they, they are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many, many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Then he says, Here, remember, this, there's a gap. He says, so wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Learn, uh, give up your evil ways. Justice, legal justice. Then he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans and fight for the rights of the widows. Social justice. He says, you guys got to get back to what I told you you need to be. You're not representing me on this earth. So they, they ignore. They ignore him. And the northern kingdom ends up being taken uh, over by Assyria, Assyria, who in 722 B.C. takes over. I, I, there's lots of information I could give you here, but I'm going to keep going. The northern kingdom says, uh, Isaiah says to them, hey, guys, the same things that happened to the northern kingdom is going to happen to you guys. And they go, no way. We have a tabernacle. We're a nation founded on God's principles. Sound familiar? And he says, no, if you don't get back to social justice... And seeking God, you guys will be destroyed. Sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, Babylonian army comes in and takes over them. Now it's interesting, the Syrian army came in and took over. They had a foreign policy that said they, t- they take the, the, uh, the nation they defeated and they would scatter them out throughout the, throughout the earth. That's why when you, the northern kingdom had two tribes in it. Today, we, you might hear a term called the two lost tribes of Israel. That's where that term comes from. They were scattered. The other, the other thing that they did is they brought other people from outside and brought them in and had them um, with the poor farmers and those that were still in the land. They said, hey, marry them and reproduce. And today, in the Bible, you would read them. They're called Samaritans. The, northern, the southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon. Babylonian empire had a different way of dealing with their captives. They took the entire nation back to their home, back to, Bab- uh, to Babylon, and set them up and indoctrinated them with their, uh, with their language and their uh, religions and their way of living. You know them, uh, some of them as uh, Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those aren't their real names, but uh, let's keep going. They, they, uh, they had all those things going. That's what the Babylonian army was doing. And in this moment, there's a cry from the people of Israel. There's something we remember, that God was telling us that there would be someone who would redeem us and give us peace. And, they, and it was the Messiah. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, there's seven years of exile. Isaiah, uh, there's a Messiah, and it's prophesied in Deuteronomy and Psalms and Isaiah and Daniel. In fact, one of those prophecies is in Isaiah chapter 9. And it says that that, that one that is coming is going to be the... Pr- let, me, let me pull that up. I, I need to read that to you. He says, the, the, the verse chapter 9... Verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Jumping down to verse 6, you've heard this one before. For a child is born to us, a child is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom, of Homeness. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice... Fairness and justice, social justice, and legal justice. From the throne of an ancestor, David, the everlasting kingdom, for all eternity. All this is pointing to this man, this, the, king, the, the one who would come. And then the, they, so the, the, they continued to be under power. Then the empires began to come in. And if you've done history, you know that well, the first one was Persia. Persia was uh, led by uh, Cyrus the Great, and he re- led for... Uh, Four, three, or 200 years, and then uh, Greece was run by Augustus, who, uh, and I'm sorry, no, by the, Alexander the Great, who only reigned for 13 years, but made a big impact. And then the one that followed after him was Rome. Rome was the one, so well, let me back up, Persia allowed for the people of Israel to go back to uh, Jerusalem and rebuild their city. But in Rome, when the Roman Empire came in, they said, as long as you guys are good, you can have your own land. As long as you pay your taxes and do what we ask you to do, you can have all that you need. But in Galatians 4.4, it says, at the, when the fullness of time had come, then a guy shows up on the scene, and his name is Jesus. Luke 2 says that he is the one who is the Prince of Peace. They announce him, and they glorify him. He has another person who's, uh, who's the, the forerunner. In uh, Matthew chapter 3, his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, everyone needs to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, at, is here. He gets, he, he gets his head cut off, and as soon as he gets his head cut off, in Luke chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes, steps into the scene and says, in fact, the kingdom of heaven is here. And then in Luke chapter 4, I read this to you last week, Jesus is in a synagogue, and he's handed the scroll, and he reads from it, from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and for he has, an ever, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. What's he doing? Bringing justice and righteousness. And he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor, for he has sent me to proclaim the captives who will be released, and the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you have just heard was fulfilled this very day. Jesus. So Jesus lives. And I, I, I need you to understand that Jesus didn't just live to die. I know many times we spoke so focused on his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But he, if he, all he had to do was die, he could have sat on the Sea of Galilee and waited for the day for him to die, enjoyed the beach, and had some fun. But instead, he had to live. Why did he have to live? So he could be the example of how we are supposed to live. He was the example of how we are to be the image of God to the world. So he died, he's, he's crucified. In Hebrews 4.4, 4, he is called, in fact, he's called the high priest. 
He says, they, they say, you, he, he's the high priest. Why is he called the high priest? So he's the example of how we are supposed to act as priests. And so he dies on the cross. He's then uh, buried. But he didn't stay buried. He was resurrected. And Colossians chapter 1 and 2 talks about why he was done that, that all happened. It wasn't just so that he could have this moment and that our sins would be forgiven. It was more than that. It would, he was not only for us and redeemed us from our sins, but he is now in us so that we can now be the glorification of who God is. So he's for us, he's in us. And then what's interesting then, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is so powerful because remember when I talked about they, when they walked out of Egypt, it took them 50 days to get to Mount Sinai to receive the word so they would be empowered to live as the kingdom of priests. 50 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, guess what happens? I'm sorry, 50 days after his death and resurrection, he walks on the earth for 40 days. For 10 days, he's, uh, uh, he, wait, is this 40 days, what is it? 40 days, 10 days, oh, ten, yeah, 10 days later, 40 days, he walks on the earth, teaching them how to be priests, and then 10 days later, he resurrects. Or 10 days later, he doesn't resurrect. Let me get this right. He sends his Holy Spirit. His Spirit. It's identical to what took place in the Old Testament, Jesus says, I'm giving you not just the word, but also my spirit, so that you can be my ambassadors. Acts chapter 1, 9 says, you will, be my, you will receive the spirit. Why? So that you can be my witnesses. All of this is who we are supposed to be. See, the DNA of who. So then we have Paul and all that. We have Paul and John and Peter who write the majority of the New Testament, teaching us and showing us how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Word and knowing how to proclaim His glory to the world. And someday, we're going to get to Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 21 and verse 22. And look what it says there in Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow, or crying, or pain, and all things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And once was shattered, is now made whole again. See, someday, we're not going to have to worry about cancer. Someday, we're not going to have to worry about broken hearts. We're not going to have to worry about diseases, blindness. All those things that we, we face today will someday be made whole, just as God intended them. Shalom restored. It's coming one day. We get to rejoice in that. But here's where we are today. The church is here. And today, we have the responsibility, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that we are his ambassadors. And we need to point people to wholeness. 
to what it's going to be to be in peace and shalom. It is our responsibility as the church to say, someday God's going to restore all things and all things will be made new. And your shattered brokenness, everything that you have and all the relationships that you once were shattered, your relationship with God that was once was broken is now redeemed and restored. Your brokenness that you had in yourself and the fact that you sometimes look in the mirror and wonder who you are and how you could love you will be restored. One day, the brokenness of your relationships with others will be restored. And one day, recreation will be completely renewed. So what's our job today? To be in the ambassadors pointing to shalom. How do we do that? By doing everything within our power, because God has chosen to partner with us for justice and righteousness. See, so many times we want the, church, want the world to look at us and say, oh, look how good they are. When the we should be going to the world and saying, looking good how he is. That's who we are. So as we go through this next week and series and go into the fall, I want this to be the central of understanding of who we are. We are the church, God's ambassadors, a kingdom of priests, Seeking those that are hurting, those that are broken, those that are shattered, to point them to the one who can restore them. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that this church, these people, these families and individuals can be who you call us to be, a kingdom of priests, ambassadors for you, that we will demonstrate to this world, to our community, who you are. Lord, as we tell our story of how you've restored us, that the world would know that they can receive that same healing. The same spirit that raised you from the dead is in us. In Jesus' name.